that's the other thing that's very important. They need to know, they need to do a stress test to make sure that the money that they're going to take at, at closing, what money they're going to put in their pocket is going to achieve the financial objectives that they thought they would. Hello, this is Elizabeth Mower, president of BEI. And I'm John Brown, the founder of BEI. Each episode, we take you into the world of exit planning, sharing the stories, struggles, and opportunities of business owners and their advisors. We'll get into this episode's conversation right after this. Gain the insight and knowledge that thousands of business owners and their advisors have used to plan for the future. The BEI membership equips you with the proven process that enables owners to exit their business on their terms. Receive access to case studies, podcasts like the one you're listening to now, a resource toolkit, and so much more. Cement your position as the trusted advisor to your most successful clients. Get started today by visiting exitplanning.com forward slash membership. That's exitplanning.com forward slash membership. And it's my pleasure today and my true pleasure to talk with Marla DiCarlo, who works with a lot of our BEI members throughout the country. Marla is a co-owner of an organization called Raincatcher. And Marla, why don't you explain what Raincatcher is and what you do? Yes. So we are business brokers. Um, We help uh, sellers to sell their companies and um, always looking for opportunities to help business owners to maximize value as well. But you didn't start life out as a business broker. You've got kind of an interesting path to get you to where you're at today. So tell us a little bit about uh, your earlier days and, and what actually got you motivated to become a business broker. Sure. So, well, I come from, um, an entrepreneur family, I guess, you know, the entrepreneurial family, um, they had small businesses when I was growing up and I saw the challenges that they faced at 10. I was working in a pet shop, you know, selling to customers. Well, that must've been fun for a 10 year old. It was, it's where (laughs) I learned my sales skills. (laughs) Um, you know, and I saw the challenges that my mom and dad went through. And so I've always kind of had a heart yeah. for helping the small business owner. Uh, I'm an accountant and um, my path led me into mergers and acquisition. We had a 500 million portfolio to invest in companies. My job was to fly out, perform due diligence, uh, figure out if we could help them. Really, we were mm-hmm. doing exit planning. Yeah. Um, And it was then that I realized for the first time how underserved small business owners are. Um, I think of this one company when I went to meet with them. It was a family trucking company. It had been in, you know, the the father handed it down to the son, 60 years plus. And they couldn't figure out why they were losing money. And Hmm. they thought they were doing something wrong. So I came in and I'm looking at their financials and I'm getting to know their processes. And and this is when you're an accountant still. You're not a business broker yet. Correct. I was an accountant, but I was working for um, a mergers and acquisition company. And what I did is I performed due diligence on companies and then we would figure out if they met the portfolio. So I was, you know, going over financials with the owner and it was very obvious that there were cost of sales that had not been included. And so their gross profit margin was off. And he thought he had been operating, let's say it was a 60%, I forget the numbers now, but it was like a 35%. 
And the reason why is he paid attention to his numbers, but he had the wrong numbers. He had, <laughs> a, you know, a bookkeeper that did his accounting. He didn't have someone high level helping mm-hmm. him mm-hmm. to look at his financials. And by the time we found this, it has been going on. He had added this new service offering to his business. It had been going on for like two years and it was just too late. I mean, there was there was nothing I could do to help him to rebound in cash flow. I mean, mm-hmm. basically we recommended that he just liquidate his business. Yeah. And I walked away from that and I can remember I can remember sitting on the plane and I'm just, you know, thinking about the conversations I just had. And I thought, that stinks. It, I, I mean, that's horrible. That can never happen again. It it and it happens often. Yeah. I think that's almost the normal route because owners just don't think of the availability of help that's a, that is available that you could have helped them with, and they just don't know what they don't know. That's right. He knew the trucking business. He didn't know accounting or finances. That's right. Yeah. And no one had ever stopped to say, "Well, let's really dig in and let's figure out what's going on." And so I left that. I left that company, and that's what where I had the idea of. Um, creating my fractional CFO company mm-hmm. because I thought I can I can fix this. I can level the playing field for a business owner mm-hmm. by helping them to fall in love with their numbers and understanding their numbers and then making sure they have accurate numbers. Um, so that was really important. That's where my love for small business came into play. So how did you get from there to, to Raincatcher? So I had the CFO company for, I guess it was about six years. And um, loved what I did, but it was a lot of work. Yeah. <laughs> I, I really, what I did is I learned a lot of lessons from it. I grew it too fast. A lot of the things that we talk to small business mm-hmm. owners about today. So it, so I sold my company to a national company, and then that led me to Raincatcher. I was the CFO for Robert Hirsch, who was the founder of Raincatcher. And um, he invited me in because he needed somebody with strong operational and sales Mm -hmm. skills. And and that's me. (laughs) So um, I love what I do. You know, I I tell people all the time that I knew Kaizen was important and it helped me to grow and it Mm -hmm. helped me to really. I mean, I've worked with over probably well over 500 business owners in my career. And, And it's really helped me to look at things through a lens that I don't know that everybody gets the opportunity, you know, to have yeah. those experiences, which I've then been able to incorporate that into how we help small business owners to prepare for that once in a lifetime event. So talk a little bit about what a business broker does, uh, but you have a different spin on that as well. So so I think most of us have an idea of what a business broker is. They sell your business for and they receive a commission for selling it. But what does that process look like, first of all? And then what do you do that's more helpful, I think, and maybe different than the average business broker? Yeah, so, you know, the process is that a business owner decides that they want to sell. And there could be a variety of reasons why, right, which is part of the problem. (laughs) If we can educate them earlier, it's better. Um, but they decided they want to sell. They come to us. We sign an agency agreement. They pay us a success fee for on the gross purchase price of whatever mm-hmm. it is mm-hmm. we, we sell their business for. Uh, we market their business. We uh, answer buyer questions. We um, negotiate, you know, a, a couple different agreements 
uh, letter of intent, you know, all the way to an APA or an SPA, a purchase agreement, mm-hmm. stock or asset. And then we help them with that final transition of closing their business. And that all sounds so easy, right? I think I just simplified it. I think you did. <laughs> I'm sure you did. But it's a very complicated process, especially if you've never um, been through a process like that. And for most small business owners, in my opinion, below, let's say, 20, 25 million in um, enterprise value, mm-hmm. this is probably the first time that they're selling a business. Right. And they don't know what they don't know. Yeah. And so... Our job is to be able to help them through that. And, and what where Raincatcher is different than our competitors is we, we do not take it lightly that business owners put blood, sweat, and tears into growing their business. Mm-hmm. That's not just a cliche statement right. for us. Um, and we want to make sure that they have an opportunity to maximize the full value before they sell their business. Um, a lot of business owners will come to us and um, maybe they have been preparing, you know, for Mm -hmm. a couple of Mm -hmm. years to sell and they think they're ready. And so they come to us and unless they they've already talked to a broker in the past or they had a CPA that really rolled up their sleeves and gave them a good Mm -hmm. valuation. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes there's a valuation gap. Yes. And I know which direction that goes in. They think their business is more valuable than it is. Yes. And so we're the lovely group Right. The first the first person that's telling them that their business is not worth what they thought it was. And that can be really frustrating, yeah. you know, um, especially for a business owner that is, is maybe waited too long and mm-hmm. they're just quite frankly done. Yeah. You know, and so we're having to come to them and tell them, OK, your business, you have a great business. You should be proud of what you've built. But there are some things that you still need to work on in order to attract a full purchase price and deal terms, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? So right. we talked about that in the past where I, I can get someone $5 million for their business if that's maximum value, but what if I only bring them 25% in cash? That's yeah. not such a great deal. Yeah, and I think that's something owners really don't realize and probably a lot of advisors. Today, because... Buyers, I think, in part are forced to pay more money than in the past. There's just more competition among buyers for good businesses. They're covering their downside because they're putting up more of their own money mm-hmm. by having earnouts, by having promissory note carrybacks, by the seller. Um, so you're probably seeing that a lot. Are you able to negotiate more favorable terms usually? If they put the work in ahead of time. Okay. Every once in a while we get lucky. Yeah. And I will say it's luck. Yeah. You know, if a buyer or I'm sorry, if a seller doesn't know about the attributes or the drivers, you know, that are important, what a buyer looks for when they're purchasing a business and they haven't worked with an advisor to make sure I call it buttoned up, Mm -hmm. you know, another word would be turnkey, you know, that Mm -hmm. they're truly you know, good that they've worked on those areas, mm-hmm. owner dependency, customer concentration, um, documenting processes. Um, you know, I mean, there's mm-hmm. really eight that come to mind. Yeah. Um, yeah. And if they, if they haven't done that, then more than likely, even if we can take them to the market for the full purchase price that they would like to receive, mm-hmm. we may not get multiple bidders. And that's the key. That's, 
that's what the key is and and when you're selling your business is getting those multiple buyers the leverage shifts right correct because then we're able to use that to our advantage we call it buyer tension Mm -hmm. to be able to negotiate favorable terms Um, you know the other thing that i see oftentimes too is that the seller has an opportunity to choose who they want to buy their business, mm-hmm. who they want that legacy mm-hmm. to continue with. How large does a business need to be before you're going to see multiple bidders? I mean, yeah. it's not a small mom and pop store that's going to do that. It's going to be some, a store or a company with significant cash flow, I would think. Yeah, I mean, typically in our end, what we see is we see those that are three million, you know, in revenue mm-hmm. uh, plus um, having more opportunity for multiple bidders. You're right. When you're below that, when you're in, you know, the main street or maybe the lower end of the lower mm-hmm. middle market, it's usually going to be an individual buyer. You know, someone that is a competitor or someone that is looking to expand mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. locally. You know, normally those groups are going to be the mom and pops that we shop at locally in our area. Yeah. So yeah. it makes a difference. Yeah, revenue size definitely plays a part in that um, negotiation process as well. So I know it, actually Marla spoke at one of our training sessions for advisors about two weeks ago or so. Yeah. We, call it, we call them boot camps. And... It was interesting how our training to help owners develop value, to develop the value drivers, a great management team, the other value drivers you're talking about, really fits in nicely with with your approach to selling a business. Because you mentioned that at the time a couple of weeks ago that you don't want to take a business to market unless the owner can achieve her objectives and goals That's in that right. process. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so do you actually work on value development personally or do you look to the outside to the to the BEI advisors and so on who do that? Yeah, we um, we actually work with BEI advisors. We believe that we are good at one thing yeah. and that is selling businesses. That's that's what we do well. And so we like to partner with like minded individuals who speak our same language, mm-hmm. which is why we're also a BEI member. Okay. And, Great. Um, yeah. Yep. And, um, you know, work with them because we know, you know, there's a lot. So there's a lot of advisors out there that maybe shouldn't be advising. They do not have the training. Right. You know, maybe they, they, they get involved in areas that they really don't have the experience or the background to advise. And so one of the things I really like about your program and BEI is that you walk them through how mm-hmm. to do that and, and, and the tool that they can use. Sure, sure. And, but you also, what, another thing that you provided at the boot camp that I'd like to make available to the listeners is you have a single page, maybe it's on both sides, 10 questions to ask business brokers when you're interviewing them to see if you want them to represent you in, in the sale of your business. Yes. And that, I, we, we talked about that at the boot camp. It's really uh, a valuable resource for you owners out there or advisors who are working with owners who are thinking of someday selling their business uh, and using a business broker or maybe even an investment banker. Uh, it would really be, it's a good resource for all of us to use. So thanks for making that available. That'll be a lot of fun. So, so tell us, um, uh, about another client that you started representing 
Yeah. So, um, gosh, we have so many different stories, right? Yeah. I mean, it's hard to choose one. Um, great stories, actually, and the not so great. You yeah. know, there's a lot of emotions that go into selling a small business. So uh-huh. um, the one that comes to mind is is um, actually an HOA company that we sold here in Colorado. And um, why that comes to mind is because the 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 um, owners that own the company, uh, really sophisticated, um, seasoned professionals. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they've got the education, they have the background, they put a lot of um, work into people, process, and systems, mm-hmm. and, and you know, getting their company prepared to sell. Um, but they thought they had another five years, and unfortunately, a life event event for one of the owners changed that. And so they're finding themselves, you know, three years into their company where they've got to sell it. Wow. They've invested a lot of money, yeah. a lot of time. And the minute I met these 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 guys, I thought, oh, I want to work with them because <laughs> they're just likable, uh-huh. good people, good group of people. And um, as we went through that process together, it was interesting, uh, the gamut of different, you know, feelings, emotions that came up. Uh-huh. From these sophisticated, buttoned-up professionals. You know, I can remember at one point, um, one of the guys uh, has a background, actually, in investments and has done some Mm -hmm. M&A work. And he said, Marley, you know, I wonder if I should get in the middle of the negotiation because, you know, I know my company better than you. And, you know, I I think I could, you know, this would be good. And I said, well... Okay, the problem with doing that is <laughs> let me tell you, um, you know, what, what this buyer said about your company. And then let me tell you what this buyer said about your company. And then let me tell you what this person said. And by the time I was done, he went, ouch. Yeah. <laughs> and I didn't do it right to, you know, cause a problem. But this is where I had been, I had been the objective third party. Mm-hmm. It, for me, I'm able to hear that and know what it is. It's a mm-hmm. buyer setting up negotiation. All right. And it didn't bother me. They weren't calling my child ugly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but for him, you know, that was blood, sweat, and tears. Right, right. And so, you know, it affected him. And in the end, we ended up, because they had invested the time and the drivers and mm. preparing to sell, we were able to choose a buyer that they are thrilled with. Wow. Could not have been a better, you know, fit for their company. The culture's right. They're expanding the brand. They're going to continue the legacy. And so even though they had to sell it, you know, five years earlier than what Mm -hmm. they thought, because they invested in preparing to sell from the beginning, Mm -hmm. they had a better outcome. So uh, that's a great story. And another interesting aspect of that is as advisors, especially, we tend to look at a third-party sale as maximizing the financial return or reward for our business owner client. And we focus on that. And as Marla just was talking about what was really driving her owners, and they'd only had the business for three years, were things like culture, legacy, probably making sure the employees had their jobs remaining for them after the sale. And these were seasoned business owners and professionals. We find that all the time in exit planning. We have to dig deeper than just, I think we can sell your business for top dollar. Or if we're going to transfer the business using an ESOP, the most important thing is to get top dollar. That's not why 
that is not the final driver for most owners. For some drivers, it is, and that's fine. Those are the those are actually the easy deals for business broker, or investment banker, or an exit planner. Is all right. I want is as much money as possible. Right. That's easy. <laughs> oh, to your point, yeah. John. That's exactly. So when I first sat down with them, you know, they they thought that it was about the money. Exactly. Yeah. And when we started going through the process in the very beginning of doing the inter, you know, the interviews, preparing the marketing materials and and really understanding what type of buyer they want. That's one of the things we do is always we, we always prepare a buyer persona, you know, an avatar, if mm-hmm, you will. Mm-hmm. So we know what type of buyer we're going after. And it was obvious. I mean, fifth phone call with them. I said, guys, listen, I may be off base here, but I know you need to make a certain amount of money to pay off some of the debts, but there's something more here. You're not looking for just any buyer. You want a buyer that is not going to fire your employees. That's going to continue to uphold the brand you've built. You're looking for a buyer who cares Mm -hmm. about people, process and systems. So it, it, it does matter, you know, what happens in that process. Um, and that's where I think a lot of business brokers, um, and I've worked with those business brokers, where they don't listen to that. They don't take the time um, to really understand what their client wants. Mm-hmm. They look at it. It's transactional. Right. You know, and it's not just business brokers. It, the same can be true of lawyers as an old lawyer. I you know, one thing we always looked at was to try to minimize taxes and maximize the net after tax proceeds. That was our job. And we didn't probably spend as much time as we could mm. finding out the other reasons causing the owner to want to sell to the right person. Mm-hmm. And and I remember I still talk about this in some of the training we do that when I started creating the seven-step exit planning process, I'd say, well, you know, the owner's goals are when do they want to leave? How much money do they want? And who do they want to sell to? And I focused on that in my earlier, younger, less intelligent years. <laughs> and occasionally I get a financial planner usually saying, well, John, you know, sometimes owners want more than just that. They want the culture of their company to remain. They want to make sure it stays in their community. And I would say something along the lines of, well, you know, that's just too touchy-feely for me. (laughs) I'm a lawyer and I'm going to do this. Well, that was so wrong. Right. Uh, And to find somebody who's in the business of selling businesses, which would ordinarily be just a financial transaction, Mm -hmm. right? In its simplest form, it's a lot, it can be a lot more than that. Even in the, and some of the smallest businesses is where the owner's most attached because they're most deeply involved still in that business. So uh, it's just, it's wonderful to hear this. I did that. You know, with my with my fractional CFO company, mm-hmm. I can remember I rem- I tell the story often. I remember sitting in the training room because I was going to continue as um, the market president here in Colorado. And I'm sitting after in the, you sold your company, after I sold my company yeah. and I'm, I'm sitting in the training room and they had just left the two executives that would be calling the shots on what's going to happen next with. And they were talking about, well, we're going to change this model with the employees and we're going to change this with the customers and we're going to add this and we're going to do this. And they walked out of the room and I had a friend of mine sitting in there, a training buddy. And I looked at them and I said, they're going to change my employees, my <laughs> customers, my service contracts, yeah. my, my, my. Yeah. Right. But it wasn't my business anywhere yeah. anymore. But it was emotional, you know, because that was something that I built from ground up. 
So I think we do forget about yeah. that as professionals. And it is a little touchy-feely, but it's because it is. It's emotional. This is an industry where you, when you're in, or not an industry, but a market size, when you're dealing with small business owners, they, the personal side comes into it. Some of my yeah. most, um, gosh, the, the conversations that stay to mind today with you know my CFO clients um, had to do with personal stuff. Mm-hmm. Because they would say, Marla, I don't know what I'm going to do. If I don't close this customer, I, m- my wife has her eyes set on buying this home. I promised her we would get this a year from now. And if I can't do this, I don't know how I'm going to scale my company. And it was very emotional. Yeah. You know, a lot of tears oftentimes. Yeah. So wow. it's important to remember that. I think we, we overlook the human side mm-hmm. of small business. Mm-hmm. Well, because professionals for the most part not always are transactional in nature even as cpas i do a tax return every year i do the financial statement lawyers i do your estate plan i do a contract for you they don't we don't develop those longer relationships in part because our hourly fees make it difficult to do that sometimes just absolutely so we need to maybe restructure how we we provide services and get paid for for business owner clients i think that is something that would be worthy of another podcast at some point. Um, what else would you like to talk about? You know, I, I I just come back to helping these small business owners with this once in a lifetime event. Mm-hmm. It's something that is really important to me. It's important mm-hmm. to um, who Raincatcher is. Mm-hmm. It's it's why you know I, I call it we're the Robin Hood of small business and business brokerage. <laughs> Because we want to help these small business owners when they come to us to understand that there are options, Mm -hmm. you know, some are ready to sell some, you know, maybe if you have, you know, a sick wife or a husband and you just don't have a choice, Mm -hmm. it is Mm -hmm. what it is, Mm -hmm. Uh, a divorce, you know, whatever. Um, But whenever Raincatcher hears, talks to a business owner where we go, hmm. Okay, there's a, he, 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 she said that they have a year, two years left in them. Um, we, we can see the value driver scores, that we know that there's some areas that we can help them improve. Uh, we always take the time to educate them on those options and let them know, hey, I know you thought you wanted to sell, but let me talk to mm-hmm. you about working with an advisor and, and also educating them, I think, on one of the, why those value drivers mm-hmm. Mm-hmm are so important. Mm-hmm. We we go into that conversation talking to them about the process of selling their company and what a buyer looks for. And I feel like that's when they really understand, okay, I, I have a couple choices here. You know, I, I can sell today and maybe I am getting, you know, the, the full value that I wanted, but I know there's a chance I'm not going to get the buyer that I want. Um, maybe if I put a year in, mm-hmm. It's going to increase the value almost always, okay. right? Yeah, it's interesting. So in, in the exit planning world, we call that determining whether the owner has a gap between what she has today and what she needs to have mm-hmm. in order to exit on her terms when they want to the person they choose for the, for the money they need and to achieve these other aspirational goals. And mm-hmm. so we spend time on that. And if the owner gives us some time, because there is a gap, that's really important. If the owner comes to me and I had a client towards the end of my legal career 
who had a, a nice company. It was a trucking-related company, in fact. Uh, it was the owner, his wife, uh, some salespeople, and he was working 60 hours a week plus. She was working the same amount, and they came to me, and they said, we've got to sell this company. We've got to get out. We're, we're just burned out. I said, by that time, I had learned. I said, well, that's that's interesting. Can I suggest? Because they wouldn't get much money. They It would, it would be a fire sale. Uh, I said, how about if we look at maybe developing a management team or at least a manager to take some of the burden off of either you or your wife or both. And that's something that we could probably do in a matter of months. Yeah. And he said, well, I've already done that. I said, well, so you hired a management person? And he said, yes. I said, well, how did that work out? How did that work out? He said, it didn't work out. I said, well, did you fire him? And did you think of hiring another management person? He said, no, I just kept him as a salesperson. But now I'm ready to get out of the business. And that was it. They had a fire sale. They got a fraction of what they could have gotten had they come to us a little bit earlier. And he ended up actually as an employee of the company he sold the business to. Mm -hmm. Still working 60 hours a week. Yeah. That's just a sad tale. Um, Yeah. It is a sad tale. That happens often. Yeah. So, Marla, thank you very much. This has been great. I've thank enjoyed you, it. Thank you, John. I appreciate it. And yeah, I just welcome anyone that has any questions for about um, selling a business. We give a free um, valuation. That'd be to great. Any yeah. business owner. Thank you for your time. Thank you. And that this is why we plan. Thanks. Thanks for listening. Join us for our next episode. For more content like this, please visit exitplanning.com.